Hey, welcome to More Than Bread, a podcast that, well, here's how I like to envision it. I'm simply trying to set the table for you to feast on Scripture. Because like Jesus said, we, we need more than bread to thrive. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and ultimately, God's words lead us to the one who calls himself the word, Christ, the word of God that was in the beginning with God, Christ, the face of God, the voice of God, the heart of God for us to, to interact with, to read scripture through. If you've been with me more than once during this uh, podcast, especially this chapter on the top 40 Psalms, you probably heard me say more than once, when the Spirit of God breathes life into the people of God through the Word of God, man, good stuff happens. Thriving takes place. So I'm Dan, your host, Bible guide and Bible reader. And in today's episode, episode number 136, we're letting Psalm 100 shape our soul. Psalm 100, we're, we're entering into the last uh, book of uh, of the Psalms, the 150 Psalms divided into three, 50, one through 50, 50 through 100, and 100 um, through 150. Psalm 100 calls us to a a deeper understanding of worship and gratitude. It, it reminds us that our relationship with God goes beyond religion, beyond places to meet on Sunday morning, beyond our rituals and traditions. But instead, at the heart of it, we are invited to come into his presence and, and experience the soul-satisfying goodness of God. But for at least the major part of my commentary, probably the whole thing, <laughs> I, I want to focus on verse 1. This short five-verse psalm, Psalm 100, begins with a, a resounding invitation. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Verse 1 sets the scope, all the earth, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It's a short psalm with a huge audience. So listen as I read Psalm 100 from the New International Version. In fact, since it's pretty short, I'm going to read it twice here at the beginning. Let it soak in a little bit more, first from the NIV and then from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I love it. It's all the earth and all generations. It's a broad scope in geography and time. Let me read it again from the New Living Translation. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Man, there are so many good themes in these five verses. Honestly, you could take this psalm for a week and, and just pray the psalm and, and let it soak into your heart. Memorize it. So good to memorize the psalms. We could spend the whole time talking about God's unfailing love and faithfulness. Go, go back and remember Psalm 64. God's unfailing love is better than life itself. We, we could spend time diving into how we come into his presence. In fact, how we come in might be what brings us in. We come in with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise draw us in to the presence of God. We could spend more than a moment or two 
talking about the fact that he made us. We are his. What, what it means for our life and our very identity that we are made by God and for God. And, and we'll get to that a little bit more in Psalm 139. And I don't know who wouldn't want to talk about worship and joy. I love joy. We hit that back in Psalm 16, and we'll probably land there again in Psalm 103, if not multiple other places. But what makes Psalm 100 part of my top 40, at least at this moment, is the breadth of its call to worship. Inviting people from every nation, every people group, every tongue, every tribe, every corner of the earth to come into his presence and worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. It's so inclusive. It it reminds me of John 3.16. First, God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world to die for us, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, life in his presence. The whole world, whosoever. I mean, who in the world is not included in whosoever? People from Myanmar are part of whosoever. Both the military junta and and our friends, international students who come to the U.S. for an education are part of whosoever. The neighbor who called the police on you because the leaves in your yard blew into her yard. Yep, (laughs) she's part of whosoever. There are soldiers in Russia and Ukraine who are part of whosoever. Chinese, Indian, Malay, in every country in Africa, you'll find people who are part of whosoever. And it's the dream on the heart of God that there will be people from every square mile of the earth, every village who will be part of the whosoever. You know, it was 10 days after my first birthday. I had no idea that a moment defining speech was being given. It was Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. He he said, in spite of the difficulties and frustrations of the moment, I still have a dream. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. He had a dream. And you know what? I believe that dream was filled with power and glory because it was a dream on the heart of God. It was and is the Father's dream. The, the whole family gathered together from every nation. Listen, this is the end game. This is why you go through what you go through and you don't give up. This is why black Christians can feel abandoned by the white church, but they don't give up on Christ church, because this dream is pulsating through his nail-scarred veins. L- listen to the Father's dream described in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. He, he says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you understand? This is where we're headed. (laughs) Oh my goodness, can't, can't you just... Hear the faint cheers echoing down the halls of time. This is where we're headed. The glory to be revealed in us, Paul says, will not even compare with the crap we've gone through. This is where we're headed. In fact, for God, who sits outside of time, we're already there. Every time he meets up with us, he's coming back from where we are headed. And and don't you think that every once in a while when he's ready to give up on us, he, he goes back and he visits that moment when all his kids from every nation are gathered around his table, around his chair, laughing together, cheering together, worshiping together, gathered around our father. This is our dad's dream. 
uh, over two decades. I, it, it's maybe going on 25 years ago. I and other community pastors had the opportunity to be on Cornerstone TV talking about what God was doing in State College. We, we were being interviewed by Ben Kinchlow. It, it, probably at least some of you remember Ben Kinchlow, but if not, he used to be a regular on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson. And, and Ben was this very striking person, large African-American man with silver hair, the, the show was on at 8 o'clock at night, and Lynn had gathered the kids around the TV waiting for the show. This was back before streaming on-demand kind of stuff. You saw it at 8 or you didn't see it. Uh, so Lynn was gathered, and, and my youngest son, Josh, was about three years old. So Lynn had, had spent some time explaining to him that Daddy was going to be on TV. Just watch the TV. Here comes Josh. It's starting. Watch for Daddy. And, and as the show starts, Ben Kinchlow fills the screen, and Josh looked up at the screen, looked at Lynn, looked back at the screen, and said, "That's my dad." <laughs> and Lynn couldn't resist. She said, "Yeah, Joshy, that's your dad." He looked back and said, "Oh, <laughs> I've heard that TV adds about twenty pounds to your weight, but there's just something wrong about a son being that confused about who his dad is." But isn't that at least part of why? We're here, part of why you're listening to this podcast, part of why we haven't given up on church, because somewhere along the way, way back in our past, but continuing into our presence, Christians, we just got confused about who our Father is. When I think about the people from every corner of every nation on the face of the earth, there's a lot that we do not have in common. Shoot, when I think of blacks and whites and... and <laughs> Here in this one country, there's a lot we don't have in common. I know that. Different skin color barely scratches the surface of what we don't have in common. Our, our stories are different. Our cultures are different. No matter how far back I go in my generations, my family was not enslaved. There are no sharecroppers in my past. There's no stories of injustice, no beatings or lynchings, no burning crosses. There's a great deal that I do not have in common with some of my best friends here in State College. I think of what our friends in Myanmar are going through. If you don't know Myanmar, it's a, a place that at our church we've been ministering to. We've been serving a, a group of people in Myanmar and Burma for, for decades. Now they're going through mass burnings of villages and churches and schools and killings. There's so much that I do not have in common with them. Their story is not my story. You know, as I was growing up, my father instilled in me this strong farm kind of work ethic. Somehow <laughs> somehow he made me one to always outwork everyone around me. But I didn't grow up thinking I had to work twice as hard as a black man just to keep my job. I, I didn't grow up like my friends in Myanmar thinking that I'll work out, outwork everyone, but I'll never have enough to feed my family. That's not my story. There's so many things that I do not have in common with all the peoples of the earth. But let's not be confused with all the differences in our story and our cultures. There is one simple, powerful, common bond we have because we have the same Father. If you believe in Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God, and you have the same Father. And listen to me, few things stir the heart of a father like his kids loving together. If you are a parent, or maybe even better, a grandparent, I, I tell you what, as a father, I always felt like my job was to get the kids out of the house, gainfully employed, not living at home. That was my ultimate win. But now as a grandfather, I'm thinking, y'all need to move back home. <laughs> because few things bring more joy to Father God than watching his kids loving together. 
Listen, that's why we've got to get this right. All the earth, whosoever. If the church doesn't get this right, the world is lost. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, this is verses 13 through 16, Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, putting to death the hostility. Now listen, Paul isn't talking here about pale Europeans and dark-skinned Africans. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. In other words, Jews and everybody else. See, in some ways, the Jewish people had a racist perspective even broader than the one we experience today. They were the people of God, and everyone else was not. One superior race, fire rained down on the Samaritans, kill the Philistines, judge the Amorites, hate the Romans. But then in Ephesians 2, Paul says to the Jewish people, his people, his family, he said, basically says, listen, the cross profoundly transformed reality. See, I think part of our problem is that when we read the Bible, we we tend to think that it's directed to me, but so often the Bible is directed to we, to us. The cross is not just for me. It is for me. It's glorious, but it's not just for me. It's not just grace for me. It's not just about the transformation of my heart. The cross profoundly transformed all of reality. On the cross, Christ demolished the walls that divide us. We who were far away have been brought near. He put hostility to death, creating one humanity out of two. In his body, on the cross, through his blood, one humanity out of two. He reconciled us to God, killing the hostility. Do you you understand? Racism died on the cross. And and now we're bonded by one blood. Uh, 90 plus years ago, John Perkins, one of my heroes of the faith, was born into a sharecropping family in Mississippi. He lost his brother to racial violence, almost lost his own life in a severe racial beating. But in his own words, he renounced any right to be resentful or angry. And instead, he devoted his life to justice and reconciliation. And his life just over the decades, it just overflowed with the love of God. It was a session with him, a promise, a promise keepers event that spurred me on in, in this all the earth, whosoever, and spurred me on particularly to a friendship with Pastor Harold McKinsey, an African-American pastor in our community. In his book, One Blood, Perkins suggests that while diversity is sown into the very fabric of creation and is an essential part of the family of God, based on scientific research, we must accept that there is only one race. And based on scripture, Christians are bound together by one blood, the blood of Christ. This this is the work of the cross. Listen to Paul's words in verses 18 through 19 of Ephesians 2. He says, For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, plural, y'all, y'all are no longer strangers and aliens. Y'all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're one family with one father. When the psalmist wrote, shout for joy, all the earth, he could have just as well said, come on, family, let's raise a shout of joy. It's all about family, brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. 
You know, I have 3,000 plus friends on Facebook. Lynn has, I don't know, I think less than half that number, which is really, really weird because she's twice the friend I am. Each of my daughters, I think, have over a thousand friends. Josh and Jake escaped Facebook reality, so they don't have any friends. But but guess what's better than friends? Family. Church is family. God is the Father. Jesus is our big brother. And the amazing thing is that as we were adopted, we actually became the same blood. We're we're part of a multiracial, multicultural family. <laughs> I don't know what some of you are thinking. I'm not sure I like my family. <laughs> There are Christians who have offended me, betrayed me, shamed me. Man, join the club. I got that. And in the best of times, it's hard and awkward. And all I can say is, welcome to family. (laughs) That's what a family is, almost by definition, right? It's this huge, painful, frustrating mess. Family is complicated and, and annoying, but you love the family, you serve the family, you don't give up on family. You can't unfamily someone. Jesus calls that family gathered from every nation. He calls that family his church, and he is so passionate about his family, the church. I, I love the vision that John gives us in Revelations 1, 12 through 15. He writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And these are my words. Those seven golden lampstands uh, symbolize the seven churches that will each get a letter from Jesus. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice, oh my goodness, those are my words. (laughs) His voice was like the roar of many waters. This is Jesus resurrected King Jesus in the midst of his church. In this vision of heaven, Christ is not seen in the halls of political power. He's not standing on Wall Street passionate about our economy. The seven golden lampstands represent the church, and the great interest of heaven is the church. The great passion of Christ is his family, the church. Remember that the next time you're ready to dismiss her. Remember that the next time your critique of her causes you to give up on her. But if we are to love the church, we must first of all love Christ. And I just want to leave us with this vision of Christ in the midst of the lampstands, one clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Picture it, imagine it in your mind. The hairs of his head were white like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. I love the gospel pictures of compassionate Jesus. The Jesus who loved those in the margins. The Jesus who fed the hungry and healed the sick. The Jesus who went to the cross for us. Jesus, the great teacher, leader, suffering servant. Oh, but I worship. The Jesus with eyes like flames of fire. The king with a voice like the roar of many waters. And there are very few things that I look forward to more than the day. When we will all come together, people from every tribe and tongue, every nation and neighborhood, every color and culture, will come together and worship with hearts of gratitude for all that he has done. I can't wait. Let me read that psalm again and pray for you. I'm reading this time from Eugene Peterson's The Message. On your feet now. (laughs) Applaud God. 
Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. And know this, God is God. And God, God, he made us. We didn't make him. We are his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with a password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and forever. Father God, I pray that you would give us a heart. Jesus, I pray that you would give us a heart of passion for your church. Father, for your family. May we be loyal to your family. May we love your family like you love your family. God, forgive us for the divisions. Forgive us for how easily we have been divided in these last number of years. God, forgive us for for thinking that people in Myanmar or India or China or Ukraine or Russia or or across the neighborhood who look different from us or have a different culture or color of their skin. God, forgive us for, for not seeing family in them, for not seeing potential family in them. God, I pray that you would cause us to yearn for, to long for that day when we all come together around your table, bringing a gift of laughter, singing ourselves into your presence. For you are our God. You are our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.